Hi, I'm your host, Rowan Tonkin, and welcome to Being Planful, the show for FP&A leaders and planning experts. All right, well, we've got some uh, really exciting topics to, to cover today. Um, I know we've uh, we've talked a lot uh, recently uh, in recent weeks. Uh, I know we had a little break there for, for some uh, Easter relaxation, end of quarter time for a few folks. Uh, we've talked a lot about, you know, how you should act, how you should be thinking, the mindset of, of the modern FP&A professional. Let's dive a little deeper today into the the kind of the how how do we go about doing that how do we operate the business how do we work inside of the organization to actually make that impact that we've been talking about when you're really trying to operate the business um, there's lots of ways that you can go about doing that right you can hold people to uh, different types of budgeting processes you can have uh, you can have uh, planning and operating to a forecast or planning and operating to a budget you can have uh, budget takeaway processes where you use it or lose it you can have all sorts of uh, different processes that you want to instill and uh, I'd really like to kind of get your perspectives on um, on, on where you kind of draw the line on, on why are you implementing a certain process and, and what the benefit of that may be. And, and Glenn, uh, Chris, feel free to jump in here and, and, uh, and, and really kind of help folks understand why we might have different, uh, different structures and strategies. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off. If that's okay. Uh, so really it's, it depends on the company and the environment that you're in. You got to go, you know, if you can't go in and say, we got one play we're going to run, regardless of the company, uh, what the marketplace is or anything, you got to go in and evaluate the situation. And the most important thing is to understand your constituents. What are their needs? You have to recognize what does the company need to get out of this? What does finance need to get out of this? And what does the business and the, the business partners need to get out of it? And when you find that place that hits all three of those, that's when, that's where you need to be. So, it's not about having one particular type of process or approach. It really has to be able, you have to be able to adapt it. And as a really good example, I think about a forecast process. Some companies like to forecast on a monthly basis. Some companies want to do it quarterly. Some companies will do it semi-annually. Some companies don't do it at all. Each one of those is perfectly fine. It really comes down to what is going on in the business, how the business operates, and where the business needs to have updated information. So it's just one of those things that you just have to adapt to the environment you're in. Yeah, and I, I think Glenn hit it right on the head. I think like when you think about uh, me, it always gets down to value proposition, right? And it always gets about maximizing the story that you're telling inside your organization, right? To me, like the always North Star of accounting finance, FP&A, um, particularly around leadership, particularly around whether you're leading strategic projects or tactical operations, it's always about like what is the business question we're trying to answer, right? So for me, I always look at it and say, it's like at a Marsis, I want us to be what does a high performance partnership and partnership and performance accounting financing look like, right? That's the business question that I want to answer. That's the business question that I want to bring. That and then kind of how you structure your team, responsibilities, uh, projects that you engage, you know, all the way down to individual uh, quarterly compensation that you're aligning people on, right? But it all starts with like 
to the leader, like in the listener that are listening to this, what is the value that you want to bring, right? Do you want to be the analytical experts, right? Do you want to be the, the, the business partners that are helping navigate the company? Do you want to be the, <clears throat> the strategic advisors, right? It's all about what you want that value perception and the value you want to bring. But also even with that too, right? You got to do a survey of like, what are the skill sets? What are the talents? What are the passions? And what are the, what are the uh, other intangibles that I have amongst my team or amongst our vision that we want to bring to the organization? So for me, it's always been about what is the value proposition you want to bring and then how you structure your teams? How do you identify the, the baselines of skill sets, passions, and talents with inside your organization to make sure you deliver on that ultimate uh, business question you're trying to answer. So that's usually how I've looked at it. Yeah, that makes sense, Chris. Uh, Actually, if I could... Go, Glenn. Sorry, Rowan, if I could... Chris pointed out something really important. You have to know where you are. You have an evaluation of where are where's your starting point. You can't say, I'm going to start going in a direction if you don't know where you are first, because then you're going to probably go in the wrong direction. So you've got to start and have that evaluation of what is your talent? Where is the company today? Where is the company trying to go to get a better sense of how you move forward? Yeah, and, and, and that, uh, that comes back to, you know, the moment of time that we, you're talking about, you know, Glenn, for example, uh, you've recently joined a, a, uh, a company that manages portfolio uh, of companies, right? And I'm sure each of those companies is in a different position with different strategies and, and, and needing uh, very different um, uh, business theses, ultimately, uh, to achieve each of those businesses' growths, right? And and Chris, you, you've been at Amasis for a while, right? Uh, you were the first uh, North American finance uh, lead. And, and that's a growth strategy, right? You know, a European company trying to expand into North America. And that required um, a, a very different strategy, for example, um, not only business strategy, but that business strategy then pairs back into what is the finance strategy. So talk about that and how that may have evolved in, in, in the, the, the kind of few years that you've been there. And uh, Glenn, maybe you can give some perspectives on um, companies that you've worked at before where, um, you know, the business might have been, uh, you know, on a slower growth trajectory and you need to do things differently. You might be trying to cut costs so that you can get, you know, Im improve that top line. Yeah, I'll go ahead and kick this one off. I think for me, like uh, coming into a Marsis, which will be five years in October, uh, feels like 10 because uh, any high growth technologies uh, company every every month is like a year. It goes by super fast. But for us, uh, Roland, the interesting thing about it was we were a European based company. So most of all of our operations were based in Europe and we were making the migration to the U.S., a lot of organizations do it the other way, right? They're U.S. presence, and then they go to like the U.K. or other places, right? And, and shout out, shout out to Planful in the last eleven months, man, knocking out the park in the U.K. Uh, but it's a it's a different strategy, right? And for us, it was the U.S. total addressable market for e-retail, e-commerce, for marketing, for what we provide is like there's you can look at the addressable market for the entire world, and it's not even like fifty percent of what the e-commerce retail market is in the United States, specifically the Americas. So for us, it was all about, um, you know, making sure that we were rapidly scaling and exponential growth. So from an accounting and finance FP&A perspective, the skill sets were completely different, right? EMEA, which is our more established operations in Europe, APAC was established 
you know, six years before we were even incorporated or founded. It was a whole different value proposition. I remember talking to our CFO and my direct manager, and he says, Chris, I don't need an accountant to come in. I don't need, I need a business person that understands rapid growth, that understands like you're not going to have it all figured out in the processes. And for me, at that stage of my career, I was ready to build and shape uh, my own uh, narrative, not leading, not building and shaping off of a CFO or a VP of finance or a CEO that I worked toward before. I was ready to step up and say, okay, I've executed some playbooks in the past. I'm ready to start my own playbook. And it, it just lined up perfectly because, you know, the market and what we've been able to accomplish. And obviously the, the pinnacle of that was last November, we got acquired by SAP, uh, which is a tremendous opportunity for uh, our organization and, and continued into the customer uh, experience portfolio that we're a part of. But again, that journey, man, in five years, it, it, it has so many ups, downs, balances, everything in between, right? And a lot of a lot of it too was a lot of mistakes that I made, right? Like I had some, you know, I had some people uh, aspects of it that I just dropped the ball on. I had some processes that I dropped the ball on. But at the same time, it was all about like the learning, right? It was all about how do we learn our customers? How do we how do we go to market differently in the Americas? How do how do we take all the learning skills and knowledge that we gain from our Americas? to revamp our other operations. That was another interesting side of it too, is because all the things we were learning in Americas was helping guiding changes in our EMEA and our APAC operations, right? Like EMEA and APAC were not even on uh, committed uh, contracts. They were usage-based. So they revenue was cycling all over the place. And we said, nope, we're gonna get you on an MRR contract. We're going to be a solid SaaS business. We're going to have every contract that's going to be a SaaS-based contract. So um, it, it, it was it was a give and pull, right? There were things that we were learning that feed back into the organizations. There were other things that the organization was learning feed back into us. But it was a continuous feedback loop of innovation, learning, failing, and uh, trying to just expand as much as we did possible. And the story we've been able to accomplish here in the America's business is absolutely amazing. That's awesome, and and Chris. So when you when you first kind of got into the seat, um, you know, early on in in the the Americas business growth, um, based on what Glenn said, right? We're talking about different cycle times, right? Um, monthly, quarterly, you know, semi yearly, or even not at all. Uh, were you probably in the weekly mode for a while and <laughs> just trying yeah. to get that feedback loop, compress those cycle times? Honestly, Rowan and Glenn, Glenn may, I'm curious to get Glenn's perspective too, but I was in the daily feedback cycle. And my my onboarding and starting was non-traditional, right? Like the whole first 90, the whole first 30 days, 60, 30, 60, 90 days, the whole first month I was at the organization, I didn't look at any GL. I didn't look at any, I didn't look at where we were trending the budget. I didn't look at our most of the day forecast. I didn't spend any of the time on that, right? And some of the listeners and people may look at it as like, Chris, you were the finance guy. How are you not looking at this stuff? And I said, you know what? I'm going to know all of those numbers. I'm going to know what they mean. I'm going to the most important thing for me in this first month in, in this in this new role, in this in this new organization that's 100 percent focused on exponential growth is I need to develop the relationships with the business. So I spent the whole first month. I spent the whole first month that every day. I sat and talked with different people in the organization, right? I met with leaders. I scheduled meetings. I, 
I sat down and, and, and sat in conversations, right? I got to know my counterparts in different operations. I didn't even spend time in the GM. And that was so monumental for me because I didn't want to come in and be like the number person that's going to fine tune every single number. I wanted to be the business partner that's in the trenches of all this exponential growth and all this change that we're going through right now. And that was that was tremendously value add. So being in that seat was a little bit different. And um, for me, it was a little I was like, this is this is different. But the trajectory that we're going and it paid huge dividends, right? In that first quarter, that first 30, 60, 90 days. But again, Rowan, the key about that was I knew what I wanted the value proposition to be for accounting, finance, FBNA in the future. I knew what I wanted it to be. I said, this is the kind of finance leader I want to be. This is the skills, passion, and talents I'm bringing to the organization. This is my vision of what America's is going to be for three, four, five years from now. So again, I had that and I was just, uh, executing on that strategy and uh you know it was it was really advantageous for our business in the growth that we've seen that's awesome chris uh it, it comes back to as you said you know defining that strategy and, and i'm sure as you got through that kind of first six weeks of just embedding yourself in the business you had all the the, the guideposts effectively you'd learn all the information that you could then go and kind of formulate you know the strategy to then say okay well this is the actual structure that we need within finance because i'm hearing from sales that they don't need uh you know the business is so volatile early on uh in terms of we we need to understand pipeline metrics that you might be instituting kind of weekly sales forecast reviews um from a finance perspective sales are probably already doing them you're listening and then from an expenses perspective you might be like oh well we're going to look at that on a monthly basis monthly and quarterly but where we really need to drive the growth is is in sales and probably marketing. And I need that feedback loop to be much faster just by spending that, you know, first four, six weeks just sitting inside the business and listening to what they need. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And it was it was it, it wasn't like a one size fits all for different areas, right? It was like you said, it was very, very fluid in terms of what that needs to be. But I know that um, we were 100% focused in America's operations and growing and, and, and getting customers, right? We were all about growth. And we were all about getting as many logos, getting many brands as possible. So I needed to have a, a strong partnership with the sales, the marketing, and the client success groups. Because those are the growth engines of what the entire America's operation was meant to do. So, yeah, it was it was very fluid. Excellent. And Glenn, you know, you, you've seen some, uh, you've seen some very different organizations. You've been at some really large organizations. I, I know you've been at, uh, you know, some REITs as well. I'd love to hear some of your perspective on, on those different cadences compared to a, um, you know, hyper growth SaaS company. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is actually, I don't think the industry has much to do with it, but the, the growth stage and the size of the company absolutely does. Uh, you know, I've, I've worked at companies that are, you know, right now my, my current company, which is a, uh, a private equity firm, we own some companies that are a couple million dollars in revenue all the way up to hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. But I've also worked for companies that are in the Dow 30, right? And that are in the S&P 100 and S&P 500. So uh, each company, you got to take that different approach. And Chris, he hit the nail around the head when he said, you got to go out and learn the business because 
as a finance person, you yes, you are about the numbers, but if you don't know what the numbers mean and how the numbers apply to the business people that you're talking to, you're not having the right conversation. And you and if you don't have that right conversation, you don't have trust and then that's it, you're all done. So you really have to go out and say to the business, hey, look, I need to learn about what you're doing, how you're doing it, how can I help, what are your goals and how do I help you achieve them? And if you're in a hyper growth company, it is about sales, marketing, clients, products, that's your focus. If you're in a much more established company that is you know, a, a much larger company, it might be more around cost efficiency, headcount, uh, you know, maintaining relationships, client service, those types of things. So it really comes down to depend on what type of company. And I have, I, I've worked at companies that, that really cover the spectrum and I've built out teams from scratch and I've come in and I've run teams that have already been established. And in each situation, you have to go in and just evaluate and say, where are you? And the number one thing that I do day one actually usually really during the interview process, but certainly on day one of a new job is you go to your boss or the CFO and you say, what is it that you are seeing that where the gap is today that I really need to focus on the next three months? And you have to understand what is that top priority? And that's where you got to go and establish yourself. The other thing that Chris mentioned, which is really about putting together the right strategic framework to move forward. Everywhere I've gone, I've taken that, that kind of an approach. You go in, you got to listen, you learn. I like to say you play sponge because you just absorb what's around you, right? That's what you have to do in the, at the beginning. But then you have to go and say, all right, here's where we are. Here's where we're going to, and here's how we're going to get there. And I always like to put together a three-year strategy that says in the first year, here's the objectives we're going to be achieving. And at the end of the year one, this is what the group's going to look like. Then in year two, here's what you're going to do. And Granted, as you go further and further out, it is a little harder to forecast those specifics, but you put something together that is more about what type of work you're going to be doing, what type of analysis, the impact you're going to have on the business. And then once we even have that strategy, it's not something that you just keep and manage to. You got to share it with all your business partners. You got to share it with your team. You got to share it with everybody so that everyone knows what direction you're moving in and to make sure you're all going to be moving in the same direction. Because the second you go out there and say, okay, we're looking for this, and you got your head of sales come back and say, yeah, yeah nah, not, not what I'm looking for, you have to pivot. You can't hold to that. So you have to make sure that everybody's moving in the same direction. I think what you said there, Glenn, is really key. And um, we all know G&A teams are always uh, stressed for resources, right? Um, and, and so... It's, it's never um, going to be easy to actually force yourself to take that time to actually sit and learn because you're always going to be, you know, getting pushed and pulled on just standard budgeting, standard kind of scorekeeping stuff, the tactical operations, as Chris calls it, right? You're going to have all that time pressure to, to fulfill the tactical operations, and then you're trying to absorb so that you can build the strategic initiatives, right? And when you build those strategic initiatives, what you just said there, Glenn, is you can't do them in isolation. You, you can't just kind of keep them to yourself because otherwise they're not actually strategic. They're just an internal um, driven, uh, you know, finance only view of the world that nobody ever believes in because they've never seen it. And, and so I, I think one of the biggest... Uh, 
kind of ironies in all of this is you've actually almost got to, like Chris said, stop the stop doing the uh, the tactical operations for a little while to invest the time. So how, um, you know, I'll ask you, Glenn, um, specifically because I think you've probably done this a, a lot more times than any of us on the call, but um, how do you free up or, or kind of create that space for yourself or for your team in order to say, actually, I'm not going to do some of this tactical stuff for six weeks because it's more important that I do these other things? So that is a great question. And this is, my answer is not necessarily going to be one that everyone's going to be like, oh, yeah, let's go do that. Um, it's basically you got to do double the work. I mean, when I come in and I, I start a new job, I'm typically working 80 hours a week for the first six months. And it's because you have everything that is due that you have to do, all those tactical things, the reports, the analysis that have to get out. You cannot let your businesses suffer because you're trying to get out in front of things. And most of the time when you're coming into a new role, there's usually a lot of fire drills going on. You've got to take care of the business. You cannot let – because it's not about you and finance. It's about the business and where, where the business is going in the marketplace. So you have to make sure you solve that. But at the same time, you have to do your longer term strategic vision and, you know, your analysis to put that together and then share that with other people, vet it and so on. So what you really end up doing is you're working one 40 hour work week saying, OK, here's the job. I got to get the job done. I've got to do the different things. And then you're spending another 40 hours on top of that saying, OK, I need to get out in front of this so I can stop the fire drills. I could be focusing the team on working on what's due in the next two to three weeks, not what's due tomorrow or even yesterday. And then it usually takes about three to four months for you to really kind of get over that hump. Once you do that, things start to calm down. You're not in fire drill mode. You're able to really think about how you do things, why you do things, where you do things. You could become much more efficient, and then you put yourself on a much better path. But you cannot just say, you know what, I know CEO, you like to get your monthly reports to understand where the company is. Sorry, not going to do that for a couple months while I figure out what I'm going to do with the FP&A team. That's not going to fly. You're not going to have a job very long. So you have to go in and make sure you are delivering on what needs to be delivered on. And, and then you just got to find the time. And honestly, it is just it's a lot of hard work at the beginning. But if you do it right, after a few months... You come back to a much more normal kind of a work schedule and everyone can take a little more of a deep breath because they don't feel like there's so much there's so much pressure. They're not working on the things that were due yesterday. They're now working on stuff that's due two weeks down the road. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I think the other thing that you at the very start of that, Glenn, the, the thing that you said, which I, I know Chris and I have talked a lot about before, is you can't you can't drop the ball for the business because if you do that, you immediately lose any level of credibility too, right? So if you're if you're a, a, a way, asleep on the budget variance analysis that they're expecting week over week or month over month or however they've been conditioned to, to kind of receive or look after information, if you drop the ball on that, then you lost the credibility that you're trying to earn by working that second 40-hour work week that you just talked about. And, and, and the value there is just... Uh, really, really important in that early stage because as the new hire coming in, you're obviously trying to consume all the business information. You're trying to um, manage all the business information and then you're trying to shape the business and set the strategy aligned to the business strategy. 
And you can't drop any balls along that way, otherwise you've just immediately lost that trust and credibility, which is huge. Yeah, I would. One thing too is that you have to remember when you come in and you are that leader of the organization. It is not a leadership. Isn't about telling people what to do. It's about getting people to follow you, and especially getting people to follow you when they don't have to. That's really that's what real leadership is. And you, when you come in, if you just say, "Okay, I'm just going to tell everyone to to work longer hours, and I'm going to take a nice forty hour work week." That's not a good example. That's not good leadership. You got to go in. You got to roll up your sleeves. You have to do everything to not only do you understand, you know, from the reporting and the analysis all the way through the strategic planning, but you're showing that you're willing to be there with your team to make sure that the team is going to be set up for success in the future. And when your team sees that, they they respond in a similar way. But if you go over and say, okay, hey, look, I expect you to work the weekend. Sorry, I'm going golfing. You're not really going to drive a lot of loyalty with your team. So that for those first couple of months when you are building out that team and you are trying to say we're going to be doing this in a different way, you have to be there every step of the way with with your team. Are you talking about golf because I'm wearing a golf shirt, Glenn? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. If I could add to what Glenn said, I had a complete, I've, I've had a completely different uh, uh, perspective on it. For me, um, and, and the question that you asked is, how do you get out of the tactical so you can focus more on the strategic, which is, uh, you know, that. For me, in, in, in working in entrepreneurial, high growth, rapid growth, technology and software companies, um, there's there's never been like a moment where there's like, okay, there's like downtime, like, I can like go chill a little bit. For me, to make that leap from tactical to strategy, for my value add has always been leveraging technology. Always, right? Because, you know, when I first came into Amarsis, the whole first year I was with the organization, it was me. It wasn't, you know, it was me and an external accounting partner that we had. So I didn't have the luxury of like having an eight person team and like doing all this. But one thing I did know, and, and I knew this early in my career, was leveraging technologies. And we had a lot of technologies in our businesses that we were utilizing, but we were utilizing it. We weren't actually getting the value add out of them. So, you know, when I sat down with the, the VP of sales and the whole marketing organization, we were utilizing Salesforce. And I said, okay, I really know Salesforce like the back of my hand. So I'm going to spend some time building out a lot of the tactical, like reporting stuff that I need to do, but I'm going to have you know, a technology solution, do 80% of that work. <clears throat> and now I'm freed up to do the 80% of what the numbers actually mean. Here's what our pipeline, here's what our conversion rate is. Here's how we're tracking on our top, you know, really the insights of it. So for me, it was, you know, uh, and I learned this early on in my career when I remember working in public accounting and people used to use it like a badge of honor that they worked like 90 hours during a busy season. And I always looked at that and said, well, are you efficient? Are you really getting the most out of that time that you're working? Or are there other things that you can leverage like technology that could, you know, take 30% of that out and say, okay, I'm going to spend some time. We're going to have to invest in this technology or the technology is already there, but underperforming and being utilized, but underperforming in terms of analytics and in terms of uh, insights, that's where you can do it, right? So like for me, I've always said like, you know, I can have, and even right now, my team isn't huge. I have three people on my team, 
right? But we're we're a super high performance and partnership organization. And our other teams have like double the size, right? Like our Emea team has eight people. Our APAC team has around 10. So they're like double and triple the size of people that we have. And they look at us and like, Chris, man, how are you able to do all these things? I'm like, because we leverage technology. We leverage technology. We leverage technology to, to get us to process data and information. We have technology do that. You incorporate our team to get knowledge to decision makers. So for me, I've always taken that approach of like, what are some gaps and and how can you fill it with technology to, to get a lot of that tactical uh, operational scorekeeping stuff done? And then now you freed up yourself as a finance leader or building out an FP&A vision or trying to figure out that business question. Now you have more time to go focus on that element of it. To Glenn's point is more that forward looking versus being in the trenches of data aggregation and data mining and, and you know, one version of the truth and what does marketing say? What does sales say? Like it is, it is monumental. So if I was to give one piece of advice for people trying to make that shift from tactical to strategy, uh, for me, it's always been like helping and leveraging technology. And that's where like, you know, Planful and, and other solutions like that, being that spoke of the wheel um, of any high performance FP&A team, they are technology evangelists. Like they love technology. If you look at any high performance finance accounting FP&A team and they don't, and I always ask them, you know, a high performing accounting finance FP&A team, if you ask them what's in their tech stack. And if they say their tech stack is QuickBooks and Excel, that's not a high performance accounting finance team. But if they say, you know, our tech stack is, you know, we got Collect AI for collections. We use, you know, Sweet AP for our AP process. We got, you know, Planful for our budgeting, forecasting, scenario planning. We've got, you know, Power Microsoft Power BI for our data visualization. If they say all of that, you can tell that they have really sharpened their focus and put technologies in the right place of their business to really move from tactical to strategy. You know, I, if I could add one thing, because Chris, I 100% agree with you. Technology is how you become an efficient organization. It is how you focus on the value add and get out of the repetitive. <coughs> that, and that is absolutely critical. The one thing I would say, though, is I've had a few times in my career where not only did I come in and I was the only employee, I had nothing to build on. And there yeah. was no technology. And so you start with the Excel. The one a piece of advice that I would I would add to that is build out what you need manually and run it for a couple of months. So you really know what the requirements are. I did when I was at Visa, I, I joined Visa before a couple of years before they went public. And I was hired as the director of profitability, and Visa was a not-for-profit company. So that was a little strange role to have. <laughs> and, and the whole role was to build out, uh, product and client profitability analysis uh, models. So you could look at how profitable is each individual product or client or how much how profitable are certain clients within products or client, products within clients. There was a technology that they were trying to, to build out, but we didn't know what the model really was yet. And it turned out that was the wrong approach. So we took a step back. We built an actual Excel model. It was an 80 meg Excel model. It took 15 minutes for the thing to calculate. I mean, you go, you basically you, you sit on calculation, go out to lunch. That's that was you know what we had to do, but it allowed us to understand what the technology, real technology solution would be, 
And after running that model for a couple quarters, we knew exactly what we needed. So when we went out and sourced that technology and we did our RFP process, we nailed it on what the solution was and, and how the installation process would go. So completely agree with you, Chris. You have to have that technology, but you have to know what you need from the technology before you go out and get it to. Facts. Yeah, Glenn. I, and it just, I'm sorry to pivot off of what Glenn, Glenn that is 100%, man. I agree with you 200. And too many people, right, they think they're going to get the shiny new technology and it's going to solve all their problems, right? They're like, give me, right. give me this. Give me this fancy, smancy AI machine learning prescriptive predictive analytics tool, and then I'll sit back and just kick up. No, Glenn, you're, you you hit the nail right on the head, man. You gotta know what the technology is gonna do. It's like it's like gonna go buy a car, right? You go buy a car, and you, you just say, I just want automatic seats, and I want uh, a heads-up display. But you go buy a car that can do like a million different things. You're not really getting the maximum value out of it. So, Glenn, you're 100% right. And I love it. What you just mentioned, Glenn, was like, go create little mini, uh, I call them MVPs, right? Minimum viable products, strategies that you go do inside the business. I've done, I've experimented in the business so many times to see what sticks and what doesn't, right? A great experiment right. you can do right now for all the listeners, right? That report that, the, that, the, that the, all the executive team wants and they can't do, right? I've done experiments where I haven't sent it for like three weeks and I see if anybody emails me and asks me about it and say, hey, we're missing that report. And a lot of times, like, people don't even look at that stuff. You know what I'm saying? And you're spending, you and your team are spending eight, nine, ten hours a, you know, a week doing something that, you know, now somebody emails you and is like, hey, Chris, we missed that report. Like, this is really critical to exactly what Glenn said. That's where you find the gaps and you're saying, okay. I know I can't let this one go, but how do I make it a little bit more efficient? So to all the listeners too, find ways inside your organization to run experiments. Run experiments on value proposition. Run experiments on is this tactic that we're doing and spend a lot of time on value add. Run experiments to say, is this strategic vision that I'm looking to have for our team, is it something that we can actually accomplish? Always be like, as, as sales is always closing, always be closing, accounting, finance, FP&A should always be experimenting. That's that's key. Yeah, and, and just to add one more thing, because Chris, you know, I know Rowan, you probably have a ton of questions at this point, but uh, Chris, you, you said something, you're, you're right. You have to go over and constantly be evaluated, especially on repetitive reporting. You gotta go and look at that on, I actually, what I try and do with my teams is on an annual basis, you go out and you survey your constituents, the people who are getting the reports, and you say, what is working well for you? What do you like about this report? What on this report don't you use? Because maybe you could take out a part of that report that is very time consuming because no one's even looking at it. And then you go back and you say, what are we not doing that you need? And what are we doing that you don't? And if you could go over and just evaluate that on an annual basis, your reporting will not only be a lot more meaningful, it'll be a lot more streamlined and you can really focus your time and effort on where the value add is rather than just producing a report. Yeah, couldn't agree more with all of what you guys have said. I know here at Planful, we have an operational report that we produce for the exec team every week. Um, and uh, we, uh, we're so frequently tweaking that report because 
uh, a the exec team is looking at it at, at every week, and we then ask questions about that report, which is oh, what if I drilled into this? Well, what if I looked at it this way? Or what if, you know, tell me more about this because we're learning more about the business and as the frequency of the business picks up and, and as things change and as things scale, we've got to adjust, um, which is awesome. But the teams underneath have to be able to respond quickly so that they've got that new report uh, ready for the next week, right? And, and that often means some data structure changes as we bring in a new team or build a new little line of business or whatever it may be. And so that's always really important because then for finance, they need to understand that there's a reason behind that report changing because there's a new strategy change or there's a new course correction or there's a new update. And, and, and you have to be in the room, as we've said at the very start, to, to actually know all of that. The other thing I would say about Chris's use of technology, I was actually at at lunch uh, yesterday and uh, we, we had a really good conversation and we were talking about a new technology that we want to purchase for the sales organization. And I won't tell you what it is because otherwise the sales rep might be listening and they'll be like, yes, I've won that deal. Um, but um, we, um, we were talking about it and, and uh, we were laughing. We're like, how many SaaS products do we have in our business? And, and I, I laughingly said uh, probably over 200. And uh, the, 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 the rest of the exec team looked at me and they're like, no, we don't. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure there would be over 200 if we went and looked at them. I said, we're probably at the point where we need a SaaS tool to manage all the SaaS tools. And I know that there's one out there. <laughs> so, you know, and, and that just goes to show like, uh, you know, I've talked about it before on, on uh, the Being Planful podcast with other folks that sales and marketing have all this technology. You know, we've been at the forefront of adopting uh, various elements of technology to make sales and marketing more efficient, more effective. And that's what Chris is talking about when he says, go and look at technology first. It's not because the technology is going to wonderfully solve all of the problems. We know that. You've got to have that strategy behind why, what is the technology going to solve for me? But because we've been, um, SaaS is easy to implement, it's fast to implement, it's reasonably configurable. And a lot of us have so much good pattern recognition as to, oh, this problem, I know how to solve that problem. I've seen this problem a hundred times. I, I go and I spend three weeks implementing this thing and it's done. Uh, and I fix that for good. And because a lot of us have grown up digitally native, we have that packet pattern recognition and, and, and we're able to go and solve that really quickly. And, and that's what I would also say to other leaders on the line is, is think about that. What patterns have you seen and how have you solved them before? Because... You know, you can shortcut a lot of what Glenn said. You may not need the MVP if you've solved that problem with that technology before. It's just like, oh, there's my shortcut. I've, I've seen that problem. I've solved it before. Let's just bring that in because it's the fast way. Where it's a new problem and a new challenge that you haven't seen before or no one in the business has seen before, that's when you go and spend the time to build the MVP and take the three, six months, you know, and, and there may not be anything out there that solves for that. There's still plenty of gaps in the market definitely and like the, and, and i think like taking the technology approach right and technology is like to me has always been the the, the cornerstone right because a lot of traditional organizations and even my experience starting in a marxist right when it came outside of that first year and i had to get start getting headcount right and it was just like I remember talking to my direct manager and he was like, Chris, you need to 
we need to get like six open rec out. Like we need to start hiring like six people because he had as a CFO the same traditional model of, hey, we need to have these people going to go do this work like our MAA team, like our APAC team. And I, I, I remember talking with him. I said, hey, Itamar, like, let's pause real quick and say, like, this is the vision that I have, right, of, high, of what a high-performance accounting and finance FP&A team is going to look like. We're going to be technology evangelists, right? So how about, you know, give me the same dollars that you're going to give me for those six people, but let me go make incremental investments in technologies, right? Because I think one thing leaders need to think about, and businesses overall, and that's why, you know, Planful has 200. I, we probably have the same amount of SaaS solutions inside of our business is people don't scale anymore like you can't throw people at problems and expect that to be a scalable strategy for your business going forward right and look at our teams right accounting and finance people like we we don't have the luxury of going out and like maybe maybe glenn does right but i don't have the luxury of saying i need i need to go hire like 12 more people right like i got three people and i need to i need to figure this out with three people maybe a fourth person you know what i'm saying so it's, it's all about how do you weave that into the narrative and make it the most efficient? Glenn, Glenn's face says that he doesn't have that 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 tool in his tool belt yeah. either. <laughs> Actually, I don't think I've ever had that tool in my tool belt, but if you could tell me where I could get one, I'd appreciate it. Yeah. Um, you know, what I can tell you is I think, especially when you're building out a team, I mean, I think about my, my last company that I worked at. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty big company. They're in the S&P 500, a publicly, you know, publicly traded company since 2004. They had no corporate FP&A team at all. My first three months on the job, I was the only employee. By the time I, I left the company, which was there for three and a half years, I had two people reporting to me. But we were covering all of the corporate FP&A for the entire company. And it's a $4 billion revenue company. It's in 19 countries. So you have to go over it. When you're building stuff out, you have to be efficient. And my, my approach to that has always been you don't hire somebody unless you have 80% of that job that is needed, that is right now being picked up by other people. So you got to make sure you don't just hire somebody saying, we hope we're going to have the demand. You have to go out and build that demand first to prove that that person is really going to be needed. But I also think when you're building out that demand, Chris was absolutely correct. You do not build scale with people. You build scale with technology. The whole point of scale is fixed cost, but your revenues are growing, right? That's where you pick up your economies of scale. So the one place that any company has to focus on making sure that they are scaled properly is in the back office function. It's HR, it's legal, executives, finance. That's where your scale has to be because many times your salespeople are going to, the more you want to grow, the more, typically the more salespeople you have to have. The more customers you have, the more customer service people you need. The more products that you're producing, oftentimes you need people to go over and build and develop those products. But you should be able to take your finance staff and be able to grow your business by 20, 30, 40% and maybe add only one person to finance. You should be able to scale up in that way, and that really comes from making sure that you have the right technology, and you're managing that technology in an efficient way. It's great to go over and say, hey, look, we got, you know, here, look, we got Planful, all these things that Planful can do, but we're only going to leverage it for 5% because that's all we're focused on. you got to really look at that three-year strategy, and once again, it all comes back to that. 
think, where are you and where are you trying to go? And not only where do your people fit in, but where does the technology fit in? And where do you start capturing that economy to scale? Because when you're talking to the CFO or the CEO, they care about growth on the top line and growth on the bottom, meaning like the, the, the earnings for the company. And if you are growing the expenses at the same rate you're growing your revenues, that is not going to be a very efficient organization. So you've got to show how you're going to make an incremental investment, and then the company is going to pick up scale after that. That's where you're going to have success. And increment the technology too, right? Like you, you can pick up something like, I'll talk about our product. I don't like talking about it on this podcast because I'm not trying to pitch it here, but you can implement something like ours for one small use case and then go and add to it. And I can do that with so much SaaS technology in, in the go-to-market tech stack that I have um, at my disposal as CMO here at Planful. But you can easily just um, increment, buy it, and, and know that you're going to future-proof it with the right technology. Don't give all the SaaS vendors all the money up front. Go and add on. They love upsell. They love that. That's a magic number for them. Go and buy what you need at that time and just know that they've got the future-proof scale for you and implement as you go because you'll learn a lot along the way and, and the worst thing that you can do implementing any technology is to take on more than you can actually achieve and more than you need at the time because you're never going to get to that magic vision. You know, Don't let the sales rep sell you on the magic vision and oversell you because you'll never get there and you'll end up with an unhappy vendor because you haven't achieved the, ven- the vision that they want and you'll be an unhappy customer and, and, and you don't want that either, right? You're, you're trying to solve a business problem. Buy the thing that solves the business problem now and make sure you test for any future proofing and any scale that you want to achieve in future too. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that if you want to be a successful manager in whatever it is, whether it's finance, marketing, operations, whatever, you have to build on success. If you start and you go and you, you buy some new technology and it is way too expensive and you're not able to leverage it, when you have to go back to that well again and you're going back to the CFO saying, I need an additional investment, they're going to look at this and say, wait a second, we spent a ton of money and really didn't get the value out of it. So you're absolutely right. Buy what you need for today and buy what you need for maybe the next 12 to 18 months. And then as you go and you build those successes, then you get to go back and say, look at all the stuff we've done. We've worked on it. This is what we know. Now we know if we add this little bit, here's all the extra that we get. And that is a much better way to approach internal funding than to go and say, give me everything at one time. And five years from now, we'll actually use the whole thing. That's, you know, no one's going to want to fund it in that way. Yeah. And just to add, a lot of organizations and leaders make the fundamental mistake of like, they go want, they go want the, uh, the, uh, you know, the Ferrari of technologies, right? But they don't know how to drive a Ferrari, right? Like they, they, they were like, we want, we want the Lamborghini of this, uh, this SaaS solution, right? But they don't know how to drive it. They don't know how to put it out of gear. And they're used to driving like a Toyota Prius or like a Toyota Camry, right? And, you know, you're, you're, investing, you're investing all this money, right? But you're not getting the full value out of what that technology is going to be. And I think Glenn is right. And I think you mentioned too, it, Rowan, is like, that's why it's so important that if you are going to go evaluate technologies and going to go implement a solution today, that that technology is thinking forward to, to what the problems and what, the, what your concerns are going to be three, four, five years from now. Too many people make the mistake of 
they want this awesome technology, but they have to grow and scale with that technology. And then you get to this gap where the technology has advanced so far above and you're doing, you know, budgets of actual variances that you just want to have on a dashboard, right? So again, it's refinement around that because I've had conversations with people that they want the shiny things, they want the AI, they want the machine learning, they want the prescriptive and prescriptive analytics. But when you ask them what they're doing now today and what their value and analytics, they're like, oh, we, we, we share an Excel document. And I'm like, do you understand that those are two different worlds? Like, that is like, that's like being on planet Earth and you want to go to like a whole nother galaxy, you know? So I think that's a fundamental mistake a lot of organizations and leaders make. Absolutely. And actually, Chris, I, I look at it this way. You know, if, you try, if you're lucky enough to be able to travel by a private jet, hey, great. But if you need to go to the grocery store, you're not going to take a private jet. Facts. Understand what your Facts, needs are. Right? I mean, I look at it. I've been at companies uh, where the CFO says, you know what? We need to have Hyperion or we need to have, you know, Oracle or SAP. You know, there's a reason why QuickBooks actually exists because you don't need Hyperion for everything. Right. And you got to understand what system will is not only going to solve your needs, but be the most cost effective system for you. It doesn't mean eventually you might need Hyperion, but you might not need it right away. And so just understanding that, yeah, you know what? Private jets are great. But if you're driving, you know, if you only need to go a mile down the road to go pick up some cereal, you probably don't need to take your private jet. Right. <laughs> and that's the whole thing is that you just understand that these different companies are at, they solve different problems and you got to really know what the problem is that you're solving for. hundred percent, Glenn. I don't take the minivan when I go for groceries because I try and go by myself. Uh, so I, I take the small car. <laughs> <laughs> so gents, I know we've, uh, we've, we've got 10 minutes left. Uh, anything that we've, we've kind of started to, to cover today that you kind of want to want to finish on? Yeah, my finishing point, I think uh, it gets back to earlier. Look, all listeners, accounting, finance, FP&A leaders, we need to be ROI accelerators, not a call center, ROI accelerators. Let's get it. Yep. And I, and I would say, you know, I 100% agree with Chris, but I would add to that. Remember, finance is not what your business is. I mean, okay, fine. There are some finance companies, but let's put those aside. Really, finance is a support organization. Recognize that you are there to support the rest of the organization. It's not about you. It's about them. Solve their problems and you'll be successful. 100% agree. Well, uh, gentlemen, it's, it's been an amazing conversation today. Oh, I just almost lost my voice. I know, Chris, you've, you've been coughing today. I hope you're all man, right. Allergies, man. Allergies are allergies. Have allergies one, Chris Ortega zero. <laughs> well, don't come out to California because I know everyone that comes out here always complains about their allergies flaring up every time they come out. But um, yeah, it was a really great conversation today. Uh, I had a, uh, a lot of fun. Uh, really looking forward to next week. And uh, I'll, I'll see you all then. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs>